Composer-producer Chad Fisher comes from a family of musicians, classical folk and jazz players who encouraged Chad to appreciate all styles of music. Today, Chad draws on his rich musical background to fuel his work in movies and TV and with his band, Laszlo Bain. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I met with Chad at his studio in Santa Monica, California, where he describes the feeling of escape he got from music growing up. We were lucky enough to have a house that had a pre-existing soundproof room in the basement. I think the previous owners of the house had a, uh, the husband was a piano player and he would go down there. When I was growing up, I became obsessed with the drums and it started out with, you know, the boxes uh, which then I graduated to the practice pad. And then if I stuck with that for a year, I'd get a snare drum and so on, hi-hat, and pretty soon it built up into a whole kit. And that would be, I'd go down there into the basement, put on the headphones, and just play along to uh, Beatles, the Kinks. I mean, it was a lot. At that point, I was I had a major obsession with the Beatles. And you know, I think I was around probably 9 or 10 and uh and that was uh right at the time when i went off to uh music camp and talk about yeah. music camp because i think that's such an opportunity for kids it's hard to say music camp these days cuz everyone refers to the band camp line in uh in that movie um american pie i think it was but yeah music camp actually was huge uh, part of my life and it has had a major effect on the friends that I have today and who I'm working with today is all because my dad basically said you know I wanted to go to a sports camp like a lot of most kids were I went to a school which was heavily relied of you know there was this stress on being an athlete and and I I was I'm not going to go to a music camp that's you know wusses and then my and then and I was playing piano I was taking piano lessons at the time and uh but I had this obsession with the drums which was of course uh, my my father wasn't all that happy with being a violinist and then uh he, that was the deal he said look if you go to music camp I'll let you take drums as your second instrument so then um, but what was your first instrument it was piano actually so that's where um I ended up uh, in Sweden, Maine at Camp Encore Coda, uh, and um, that's actually my first year there is where I met Larry Goldings, who we'll be talking a lot about because he's... Uh, and how old were you when you went to this camp? Um, when I, th- I think I was about, uh, I was 10. and wow. and uh, And it was great because you had, you when you got there, you were immediately... Um, placed in orchestra, jazz band, small ensemble, theory classes, and then they still had like a swimming program and a softball team, and we would go around and play other camps, and everyone would be like, oh my God, the music camp has, you know, we're going to slaughter them in in soccer or softball. But we actually did very well. (laughs) See, that is something a lot of people don't know, because I know a lot of great athletes who are musicians. Yeah. That is a well. Don't underestimate. Secret. I know, um, but it was great. So that that camp had uh, I ended up going there for five consecutive summers up until I was fifteen or sixteen, and um, yeah, it, I, um, by the by the end, 
I ended up having a, we had a band, we had a rock band that uh, was playing uh, dances at all the other camps. So when everyone was going to bed after dinner, we would load up all our gear into the big bus, like the 1940, you know, big, huge bus. And, and the camp uh, director was sort of our manager, and he would drive us to the neighboring camp, and we would play a, a dance. So you were already yeah. learning about the business, yeah. too, it yeah. sounds like. You already had a band manager, <laughs> yeah. a band bus. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. And I'm also thinking just such a great varied background. Like you said, you played in the mm. orchestra, the jazz band. You yeah. were really getting a broad musical education. Yeah. Well, I, there was a lot of pressure from my parents to, uh, you know, my father was, he was like, well, if you're going to do the drums, then you're going to, you're going to have to join the youth wind ensemble at the conservatory, the New England conservatory. Where I grew up in Boston. And, uh, so, and that of course was somewhat disastrous because if you're if you're not, if you're not the best, there's usually about three percussionists in, in the, the wind ensemble, which is essentially an orchestra without the violins. And then, uh, I would usually be relegated to, uh, playing the cymbals or the, the bass drum. And that usually means you've got three notes in an entire piece and you have to count 78 measures. And of course, I'm daydreaming, looking out the window. I have no idea where I am. And then to come up to my one moment and then, <laughs> psh, you know, at the wrong part. And uh, yeah, that was, that was disastrous. You didn't see a big future in classical not music a, for no, you? Not a big, no. <laughs> but, uh, but that was what happened at camp was that the, you had all those things going on. You could, you, you had this experience where you could be doing all these different styles of music and, uh, and I would learn everything that I would learn for that entire year was in those six weeks in the summer at music camp. And then I would rely on that knowledge to get me through the rest of the year when I'd go back to school and I'd be playing in my whatever jazz band there or rock band. And so, yeah. Talk about your group, Laszlo Bain, oh. because that's something for me that as a person who doesn't listen to a lot of popular music, yeah. I'm certainly aware of it. Yeah. And I just love it. It's, it is so musical. It's so great. And you say mm. that you're changing instrumentations. You're bringing different things into it all the time. Talk about yeah. that. Well, the band has, um, been around for about 10 years and, uh, we, uh, kind of, we got signed as a, as a rock band in the mid nineties when there was a lot of bands, um, that were sort of very, uh, Nirvana had basically taken over and, and, and then there were other bands like Weezer and it was all this punk rock influence, but combined with very, very infectious melodic and poppy and hooky, um, lyrics and, and melodies that was, you know, I, th I think responsible for why a band like Nirvana or, um, did so well is that they seem to have the indie cred of, uh, working outside the mainstream, but in, in fact, they were incredibly mainstream and very, very hooky. And we, we sounded like those bands in the beginning, and that's sort of how we got a record contract, because that's the way the record industry works, is you basically sign the band that sounds like the band that's popular at that time. And, and then, um, we've morphed into, uh, a band that really, I don't know, I think we've, it, it kind of goes back to the Beatles again, where we, we want to use influences from all different kinds and all different styles of music, which is why, and I was telling you earlier, we just played this show in Boston 
we had an accordion player on stage and you know our guitar player will grab a mandolin or a banjo and our bass players you know will play upright bass and I'm playing acoustic guitar and everyone it's sort of become more of this folk traditional style of um kind of stripping it down to the basics and uh I don't know the theory is that any song if it, the song's any good you can play it on acoustic guitar and it's still going to sound great and I think that we've concentrated so much on just writing songs uh that that don't really get don't fit into any one genre but just have that sort of like kind of classic timeless pop you know um actually which is we've just finished this record called Guilty Pleasures which is big um we were asked to do a cover of a 70s song called Stuck in the Middle with You and uh for this film and then we had so much fun doing that we started thinking about well, why don't we just keep recording these covers and then we realized it didn't take very much for us to uh, we didn't have to do anything to try. We'd have to try that hard to sound like these bands. We kind of felt like we already did because, again, these bands are, especially in the 70s, it was just a, all about a perfect pop song, uh, which is the guilty mm. pleasure. I mean, they're kind of cheesy, but in that way... But they sound great. They sound amazing, and they're totally timeless, and we ended up doing this. So this entire record is uh, almost half the album is is a dedication to those songs it's a dedication to that attitude of like we are going to write the biggest most beautiful song and we're going to call it i love you and when i was a younger man i hadn't a care fooling around hitting the town growing my hair you came along and stole my heart when you entered my life Oh babe, you got what it takes So I made you my wife Since then, I never look back It's almost like living a dream
so this whole record basically sounds uh, very cohesive in, in the fact that mm. it has that you can tell that everyone was, you know, and everyone was really influenced by the Beatles and Wings. I think at that point in the seventies, Paul McCartney had taken off with all these huge pop songs that mm. were, uh, you know. It's interesting hearing you say that to put out something now too, when I'm getting the sense that a lot of people are sick of irony mm -hmm. because everything's ironic. Right. Like you say, to just do a tune called I Love You yeah. and mean it. Yeah. Sadly, now takes a lot of nerve. Yeah. <laughs> but I think people respond to it yeah. and want that kind of thing. Yeah. Another thing that I think about as you're saying this, so much in the pop world, as for my understanding of it, is getting a sound that can be popularized, i.e. pop, yeah. that people are really going to recognize. And you have a group that you keep changing instrumentation and you're doing different things with it. How do you keep an identity of the group that people know the group yeah. if you're going to keep changing things and still be a right. pop group? Well, you know, that's a huge, that, I think that's probably the biggest issue for any artist when they're signed to a label. Mm. And they've got um, they've got their publishers and their publishing company. They've got their manager. Um, they've got their booking agent. Everyone outside of the band or outside of the artist is really concerned with that very factor. Mm. What is the image of this band and this artist? How are we going to promote it? And what is the audience? And how can we? What category can we put them into so we know what the game plan is when it comes to promoting the next album or just? getting the word out there and that is um that ends up i think becoming um a huge burden on the artist because the minute you're so conscious and self-conscious of of how you're being perceived and you have that critical voice that's looking at you and analyzing you then that pretty much does a number on 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 the creative process and it shuts you down and all those i mean all that all the critical voices which are that you already have as an as a creator and as an artist um which really i think the job is getting rid of those voices so you can just get in into the moment and get really inspired and get involved and get excited about what you're doing rather than constantly criticize what you're what you're doing um i think that that's something as a band we went through when we we finished an album and our label folded, this was back in 2000, the label folded, we got our album back, and we had poured over this, you know, our hearts out over this album. It took about two years to make. And um, we, uh, it was this incredibly liberating experience because all the people, we got rid of our management, we got rid of our label, and... Um, we were left with, well, what are we going to do? Well, why don't we just do this for fun? Why don't we not worry about having a huge hit record and not worry about, um, you know, how the kids are going to perceive us or whatever? And we were very fortunate to have a song on that album become the theme song for Scrubs. Out the door, just in time, head down the 405. Gotta meet the new boss by 8 a.m. The phone rings in the car. The wife is working hard. She's running late tonight again. Well, 
Superman. interesting thing about that song it was the only song on the album that really broke it down to um uh a ba- i think there's ba- we've got banjo on the song an acoustic guitar bass a little drum loop and that's it it's pretty simple and then that song became uh that so became the theme song and that essentially uh has been on uh, been playing on TV for the last 6 years now it's that shows all over the world and it's as if we had a big hit single that was on the radio but unlike or a single that only gets on the radio for a few months or you know or maybe maybe a, maybe a year if you're lucky and then that's it well this one just keeps playing so now we're able to um to take that and and run with it and uh and and operate under this very independent four guys who are best friends and have a great time making music and making each other laugh and and um and uh and keeping it simple and and not doing it with a manager and a record company that's telling you which way to go exactly. or any of that. Yeah. And talk about your MySpace space. Oh, the MySpace page. Because it's interesting too yeah. where from a bigger standpoint this is all going yeah. because I've seen this full circle yeah. sort of that, especially in radio, people yeah. talking about when I started out, people would say if a radio station liked you, yeah. they just play you all the time. Separate yeah. from the big companies were yeah. certainly pushing their artists, but right. it was possible for the independent to do something. Yeah. Then that all went away. Yeah. And now it seems to be coming back yeah. that if there's... Something good, right. obviously, because everybody has a MySpace, and it might just be to show their cat. But yeah. talk about your page, because you even gave up your website yeah. to just do the MySpace thing. So yeah, talk my, about that. Well, MySpace is pretty amazing. Um, it's free. That right there is probably the the most amazing thing about it, mm. is that here is this thing which doesn't cost you a penny. You can you can spend all day or, or however long you want on creating... Um, a store essentially and create where uh, creating just control central where someone can come and they can see your videos they can buy your music via iTunes or any other digital download uh site and they hear your songs see your pictures they can communicate with you and for us uh where we have this you know this song in the show which is getting played all over the world we've get people from the mid, you know Saudi Arabia from South America Brazil all over the world who come to the site and um and then 
purchase the music and it's international distribution and promotion, which, uh, you would have to sign away your life for. And so that, so that, that does make it amazing. And, you know, as far as putting the power back into the artist's hands and letting people feel empowered and, and excited about, you know, knowing that they have that artistic control is, is amazing. And I, you know, I often think about, um, I always, uh, used to, uh, you know, I, I've always felt that in the early 60s, in, in late 50s, early 60s, when you had this sort of folk revival, and um, not to mention, even, you know, I th- and I think this is actually connected to what was going on with a lot of jazz artists as well. Back then, you you didn't have uh uh you didn't have a mach- the machine of the music industry um like you have today or like you've had for the last 35 40 years um that controlled everything you had people who were sort of you know you as a musician as an artist you went out and uh you toured and you made your records and they weren't going to take over the world they were just going to be a reflection of, of what you did live on and captured on record. And, um, it was, I think everyone was coming at, at it with a much more humble approach. And you had a climate in the country, especially during the sixties where you felt like, well, our music can actually, you know, really can have a statement about, you know, what's going on in the world and we can maybe make a change as far as changing people's attitudes and perspectives on, you know, what our government's involved in and, you know, and then you have the industry that takes all of that over and takes that power away from, from the artists and from the musicians. And you're left with what we have now, which is, uh, you know, the government goes off and does horrible things and starts wars and no one really has, feels as though they have a voice artistically that, that would actually matter enough to, to say anything about that. Did a song called P 
piece is our profession, which is on an album called Backsides that we have, and uh, w- which is a which was an ode to Doctor Strangelove, the um, Stanley Kubrick film. Love and that film. Great movie, and um, we uh, we decided well well we've got this MySpace page going now. We've got people coming to it. Let's make a video. We made a video of um, for the song "Pieces Our Profession," and uh, you know there was no label saying, "Well, why are you going to do that?" You know, we're not going to get this on MTV. We don't want to spend the money. So we go ahead and we made our video on our own. We put it up on our MySpace page, and it's it's a critique on you know on our uh, on the government's involvement in in Iraq, and and it's funny and. And we get to feel as though we have a voice and that mm. we can say that and no one can tell us we can't. And I think people do care because I have a lot of young people. I play in a lot of colleges and they're all talking about this. They have a real attraction to the 60s yeah. as they perceive the 60s because yeah. they weren't there. Yeah. But they're saying to me, we wish we could go out and do that. My friends yeah. don't do it, but I say, well, look, you're talking about it. Yeah. There's other people. So I think there is yeah. a desire yeah. for that kind of thing. There, there, um, here in Los Angeles, there's been this sort of uh, folk revival, singer-songwriter, um, acoustic uh, movement, which really has been going on for probably 15 or more years. And... Um, I've I've had the privilege of producing a lot of these artists. Um, there are two amazing clubs in L.A. One is called Largo, and the other one is the Hotel Cafe. And um, they're sort of like speakeasies, and uh, and they've they've got a lot of great artists coming through. And um, and I think that the philosophy and or, or amongst mo- many of the artists is uh, is stripping it down and bringing it back to what it was, you know, musically what was happening in the 60s. And even even there's air. I used to live up on Lookout Mountain in Laurel Canyon, and that was where, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash were living and Joni Mitchell. And so there is this sort of allure. I think a lot of people feel as though, you know, that's when it was really happening. And uh, let's get back to that. Mm. And um so uh, I've had the privilege of, of working with a lot of great artists. Alexi Murdoch uh, produced his um, his uh, first album, and he's got this sort of Nick Drake um, thing going, which is great. And he, he Alexi's an incredibly uh, talented uh, singer songwriter. <laughs> Quietly 
just standing in the shade all of my days. Watch the sky breaking on the promise that we made all of this rain. And I've been trying to find what's been in my mind. As the days keep turning into night Many a night I found myself with no friend standing near All of my days I cried aloud, I shook my hands at what I'm doing here Found me, and it's just too bright as the days keep turning into night. Alexi Murdoch on All My Days. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. For a discography of the music played on our show and a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about my music and what I'm doing, and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. My guest, composer Chad Fisher, talked about his work on the film Garden State. I produced a few of the bands on the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and then there was also uh, some score in the film, mm-hmm. which was uh, essentially uh, inspired by uh, Nick Drake and um, Simon and Garfunkel, which they had used a lot of their music in the film. And the idea was, let's capture the vibe of a movie like The Graduate, mm-hmm. you know, or um, Harold and Maude. You know, where you have uh, these incredible songs that really just become like a third character in the film. ¶¶ 
again, it, it ties into uh, artists just harking back to, you know, the 60s where you, where just there was such a, um, I don't know, there was, there, was, there was some serious magic going on at the time. But a lot of filmmakers, uh, Zach Braff, who, who uh, wrote and starred and directed Garden State, he, that was bit, definitely on his brain about mm. capturing that vibe. And um, there's another movie that I worked on called Little Manhattan which uh, also w- wanted to capture um, that emotion and innocence uh, of the 60s, and they'd used a lot of S- Simon and Garfunkel as well. And I ended up writing uh, actually a song for that film that ended up being the basis for just about all of the score that's mm-hmm. on that film as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the song is called Map of My Heart, and Larry Goldings plays piano on that, and there's definitely a... You can hear a Paul Simon um, influence on that song. City streets and subway cars Pumping life through my veins And every line on the map of my heart Guides me along my way And I always know where I am And which road leads to you Russian bites a New York City symphony These nine city blocks where the music is my guide Ooh, sets me of My Heart, a composition by my guest Chad Fisher for the movie Little Manhattan. Chad has many favorite jazz musicians who have influenced his music. If I were to say what jazz musician has influenced me, I I would have to say it would 
it wouldn't be one musician it would it was several mm-hmm. and uh they were um really it was they were my extended family so my grandfather was a uh jazz pianist and he um not by trade he wished he had been a jazz pianist by trade but the pressures of getting married and having a family he he um he was an accountant and uh but he played incredible stride piano i like that yeah big thumbs up on the stride <laughs> So, uh, are you saying that just to make me feel good? <laughs> did he really play stride? He really did. When they came to, uh, when my grandparents would come visit, they lived in, uh, they lived in, uh, Connecticut. Um, they would come up. We were living in Boston. And the first thing my grandfather would do was go straight to the piano that we had in our living room. And he would sit there for hours just playing Sweet Georgia Brown and playing all these great songs. And that, this is great. And, and, this, and so before I even really was conscious or, or you know, had any uh, knowledge or, you know, awareness of, of, of different genres or of jazz in particular, that was going on all the time in the background. And he ended up, um, he had four kids. My dad was the middle child. Everyone in that family played an instrument. And... Um, my uh, their youngest daughter uh my aunt liz she went to berkeley out and i went to uh the conservatory and studied composition and uh and was going to become a composer and then my um my other uncle fred uh was an is an incredible jazz pianist and classical pianist and he was playing uh later on in, um later in the 60s he was playing in the village where he met his wife who was an incredible banjo player, like uh, uh, written up in all the banjo magazines, and um, oh, that's interesting. And they ended up putting this band together called the Glad Rags, which my aunt Liz also played in. From the Great Atlantic Ocean to the wide Pacific shore, from the Queen of Flowing Mountains to the Southland by the shore. She's mighty tall and handsome And quite well known by all She's a combination of the Wabash Cannonball Listen to the jingle, the rumble and the roar She glides along the woodlands Through the hills and by the shore Hear the mighty rush of the engine Hear the lonesome whistle call While traveling through the country On the Wabash Cannonball we 
my dad's older brother, Bill, is an amazing banjo and trombone player. And he put himself through grad school. He was going to Berkeley out here in California in the 60s. Put himself through grad school by playing at all the local strip joints. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, There's a long tradition of that sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he was, you know, he and then he was playing with all these great jazz musicians from New Orleans who all lived in the Bay Area, and they were kind of, you know, much, much older. You know, one uh, one guy had played with Django Reinhardt for many, many years, and um, so he was hanging out with all these great jazz musicians. That was a really good time for jazz yeah, yeah. in San and, Francisco. Yeah, and then he uh, he ended up graduating with a. Uh, with a master's in education and English in, uh, and became a professor of uh, black American literature. And that was his focus. So, um, so all of these people in my father's family were, were, I mean, and they were the life of the party. They were, you know, filled with laughter and incredible, just incredible dynamic personalities. And then my dad played, he was the black sheep of the family. No jazz in my in my dad really all classical. He he played the violin. He became a doctor, and was very responsible. And uh, and uh, ended up you know really in the end he sort of you know he helped he you know he was in a position where he was able to help his brothers and sisters when they were going through hard times financially because they'd gone the way of being an artist and being a musician. So of course when I told my father that I was going to be a musician. <laughs> I was going to ask yeah, you about that. He wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think parents ever really no. think they want. They don't. They're not raising you and saying, "Boy, yeah. I hope they're an artist." Yeah. Tell me about your most recent project with Larry. Well, um, Larry um, and I have this very, very long history. But we met at that music camp. We ended up um, forming a rock band there, but we also had a jazz band with my eighth grade teacher, Mr. Bowles, who was uh, who played bass. And we had this trio called the Goldfish Bowls. <laughs> and we were... <laughs> That's actually so, <laughs> really good. I like it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Larry and I were, were probably 13 at the time, and it was all fake book material, and we would... Um, we would play weddings, and we were it was so, we were somewhat of a novelty act having these two kids, and then Mr. Bowles on bass with his long beard. And I like um, that you still call him Mr. Yeah, Bowles. Mr. Bowles. <laughs> I don't even know if I know his first name. I think he's still Mr. Bowles. So um, we, yeah, we played all these. Uh, we had all, we were like a gigging a gigging band, I, and uh, so that was great. And then um, I ended up when I graduated from college. From college, I, I moved to New York. Larry was already in New York, uh, having just finished the new school uh, program. And um, we were able to do some collaboration and work on some projects when we were just getting our little recording studios started. And um, I would later move to California and then start this career doing film scores. And uh, I did my best to convince Larry and, and and his wife that you know living in California was the way to go, you know, raise kids you know where it's you know nice and warm and um, they so he ends up moving out here and, and he's still living out here in Los Angeles with his wife and two children 
And we, uh, in our schedules, have been able to carve out some time to work on music together, which we call Goldfish. <laughs> and, uh, and the idea is to do, um, to take, uh, field recordings and then incorporate them into these, it's hard to call them songs. They're not really songs. They're more like these soundscapes. And, um, I think the idea was, you know, maybe we could, uh, this could help us get a, get some jobs doing some really much more abstract, uh, film scores. And, um, but the projects, uh, the project is, we're about halfway through and this record and it sounds amazing. This one's called Toy and it is taking, uh, one of those little music boxes that plays, you know, a tr some traditional folk song or, and, uh, played very, very, very slowly. So you, the melody becomes in indistinguishable and then taking all those tones and reversing them and putting them through all this reverb and it just creates this sort of heavenly atmosphere.
Talk about the movie you're working on right now. Well, there's two. There are two projects that I'm that I'm working on at the moment. One is a film called The Babysitters with John Leguizamo, that um, is very dark, and it's about um, a, uh, these girls in upper upper middle class suburban Chicago who take their babysitting operation, and we're talking about high school girls, and turn it into a prostitution ring. And apparently, this this actually has been going on. And it's very, uh, it's very much a sign of the times and sort of how our culture has, you know, with, with, with role models like Paris Hilton, uh, you know, I think they're, we're in a little bit of trouble. Oh. Um, and the, the score was, um, a lot of it was influenced from a band called, uh, Sigaros. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but, uh, very ambient. And a lot, and and my experience with working with Larry on that on the Goldfish project definitely influenced the the music that ended up in the score, and um, so that I'm just finishing up now. And then on the flip side, I'm working on a comedy starring uh, Rain Wilson from The Office. If you've ever watched the American version of The Office, he is hilarious he's great and um he plays a drummer in a heavy metal band in the 80s who just before they get um signed he gets fired from they get a record deal and then they become massive like guns and roses huge flash forward 20 years later he's living in his sister's attic selling (laughs) auto insurance and the band vesuvius uh is getting inducted into the hall of fame so of course he's just you know it's all salt on the wound and he's incredibly bitter and and then uh he joins his nephew's high school indie alternative rock band because they're going into a they're having a talent show and and some for some reason their drummer can't make it he forces his way into the band and um and then they actually start doing very well anyway the 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 project my responsibility is is writing all the music for the heavy metal band and for the uh, the high school band. Oh, what fun! So yeah. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's coming along. We have to write all this music before they start shooting because all the music is going to be on camera. So so right now I'm I basically have about two weeks to write these uh, almost an album's worth of material, which um, is unusual because very often they're bringing the music people in at the end. Yeah. Well, exactly. When when the when when you're doing the score for a film, it's the film's already been shot, edited, and they've got about a month to go before mm. they're going to mix it all in, and that's when you do the score. But if it's in this case, it's all on camera. You got to have all the music written before they start shooting. Is this a better process? Do you prefer this? This is I don't. You know, they're both pretty. It's all. Deadlines and pressure and, and everyone's freaking out. You've got a ton of people who are pulling their hair out, wondering whether this is going to work and whether they're going to get the right material. And, and, and so that's the phase that we're in right now. You but seem very yoga-like, though, very calm. I'm doing my yoga position. You are. Right you here. kind of are in a yoga position here. So I think this, <laughs> but I feel like I should let you go so you can start <laughs> writing music right this minute because you must yeah. have not only 
a great advantage in all of your talent and experience, but you do have kind of a very kind of om vibe to you. <laughs> it's the beard. I think I think it is. It's all about the beard. Well, this is we're radio, yeah. so I like yeah. to give people kind of a feel for yeah. things. We're in a very we're in your studio that has a kind of vibe. So yeah. I appreciate you giving me this time because I do know how busy. Jokes aside, you yeah. are, oh. and it's been great. I'm going to check back in. I think this should be the come to LA. And you will give me the the vibe on the L.A. scene, what's going on. I think this is going to be an an addition to Jazz Inspired. I think that sounds great. This is good. Thank you so much, Chad. This has really been fun. It's been a lot of fun. You've been listening to composer Chad Fisher. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD Trio. I'm on piano with my Cashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about what I'm doing in my music, visit judycarmichael.com. Special thanks to Tom Rickenback, Stephen Linda Plotnicki, and our webmaster Megan Lewis. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons and the American Hotel Sag Harbor, New York. Visit online at theamericanhotel.com. Thanks, too, to Sag Harbor Florists. You can visit them at sagharborfloristandgifts.com.